We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And if you've been listening to the pod or following my Twitter feed over the last week or so, uh, you may have picked up on the fact that uh, I've been particularly fascinated with Montrez Harrell. Darius was teasing me on the last show that I was foaming at the mouth to get to this. And he's absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot to say on on Trez, and we're going to try to get to all of the aspects of his game. But before we do that, I want to start with his background, because I think it's informative regarding the player that he is and the player that he could be with the Lakers. He was born and raised in Tarboro, North Carolina, which is a town of about 10,000 people. He went to military boarding school for his senior year in Virginia. And he was the 90th rated recruit, according to ESPN, coming out of the 2013 class. That was the class that Nerlens Noel was the number one guy in, in that class. And he was a, he had initially committed to Virginia Tech, but when Seth Davis stepped down, he ended up going to Louisville. And he was a bench player and uh, toward the end of the bench on the Louisville team to start his freshman year and then broke his way into the rotation and was actually a fairly crucial piece in their 2013 championship run. 
he came out after his junior year and he was the a second round pick, the 32nd overall. So the, the second pick in the, in the second round, he rode the bench with Houston, his rookie year. He got into the rotation. His next season got about 18 minutes per game. Then he gets traded to the Clippers for Chris Paul with, along with some other guys. And, but his real breakout season was not this past year that just concluded, but the year before in which the Clippers were a bit of a surprise team. They won, I think 48 games and pushed the Steph, Clay, KD, Draymond, Boogie Warriors to six games. And those guys were healthy in that series. At the end of that series, uh, one of our listeners, Mimi, she sent me a video of Draymond was doing a, a post-game hit, one of the ones that Mike always does for, for Spectrum. And so this is at the conclusion of game six. And he's talking to Kareth Burke from the Warriors. And he cuts it off mid-sentence, mid-interview, to run to the other side of the court to make sure that he catches up with Montrez Harrell before Harrell goes into the tunnel, just to tell him what an amazing job he, that he did in that series and how much he respects him as he called him. He was an undersized four and now he's dominating at the five position. And this is before Draymond was a, a clutch guy, right? This is just a, a, an established champion going way out of his way to make sure he went out over to tell Montrez Harrell, like, Hey, you're, you're for real. And so all of that brings me to the point that there's some young players that are identified early on as teenagers as being future NBA players or guys who could be in that pipeline. And they are given access to the best resources in basketball, the best trainers, the best coaches, the best situations, their travel, you know, to, to and from places they get hooked up, right? Because a lot of people want to be associated with a, a future NBA player when you're in the high school and AAU type of areas of, of basketball. Montrez Harrell isn't one of those guys. If you look at the 90th rated recruit and you look at the names around him or anybody around that area of the ESPN top 100, every once in a while, one of those guys will make it to the league. And very few of them achieve, even if they make it to the league, it's like Denzel Valentine, right? Like he's in the league, he's got a job, but he's not necessarily the sixth man of the year not necessarily as productive, very rarely does somebody like Montrez Harrell that's regarded that way, get to that point. And there was a narrative that popped up this year with the Clippers. And whenever we acquire a new player, right, I'm in my Lakers bubble. So it becomes this investigation, right? Who is this guy? What is his game like? What's he good at? What's he bad at? But there was a narrative that popped up this year with Harrell that he wasn't competitive, that he was lazy, that he quit on the team. And before we get into the aspects of his game, a guy with that background and that story, like I've never met him. I don't know him, but you're telling me that Montrez Harrell isn't a dog. Like Montrez Harrell is in the league because he's a dog. He's successful in the league because he's that type of guy. Does he have holes in his game? Yes. Does he have, but this idea that this guy is not a competitor and this guy doesn't, didn't scrap for everything that he got really sits, doesn't sit well with me at all. So I just wanted to start from that spot. I don't know if y'all got anything to say on that front, but it just really irks me how we talk about some of these guys, right. That, that we just discount kind of their, how they got here. Cause Harold, Harold's road wasn't easy. Yeah. I, that's not a narrative that is common around the NBA circles that, that Harold, you know, some, somehow isn't a competitor. 
And there was a quote he did his Zoom last week, Pete and Darius, with local media in LA. And this is this is one of the quotes that I had typed out for the article. When I was playing for the Clippers, I gave it everything I had every night. I laced up my sneakers. Now that I'm here with the Los Angeles Lakers, that's the same thing I'm going to do here. It's my job. And what I liked was that he then transitioned into acknowledging that this team already won without him, as opposed to sort of, hey, I'm going to come in and just kind of play my game and we'll see how it works. So he said, I'm blessed to be on a team that was strong enough, deep enough, and had the talent enough to win the championship last year. Me coming into the mix, I'm just trying to do anything I can to try and help them get back to that same place. I wasn't there last year and they won it. So I'm just trying to come in and do anything I can to help repeat. And so the words sometimes can be overrated. We'll see how he plays in the court. But I think Darius that the way that he played, if you just watch him, does line up with that. It, it does line up with the way that he's speaking. And I think that we'll see that uh, in a couple of weeks here. <laughs> as the season couple, gets rolling. Wow, a couple of weeks here. I've been thinking yeah. about that, Mike, just as a side tangent briefly. You know, <laughs> the preseason schedule got dropped the other day and it said December 11th. And I almost threw myself out of a window. <laughs> Training um, camps on Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. Anyways, back to Harold. Um, so a couple of things. A, I agree with the idea that what Mike just presented and what Pete was saying, that there is a certain class of player who only makes it, not only makes it, but who rams their way through whatever sort of crack in the door exists based off of like a personal ethos of determination mm -hmm. and ferocity and hard work. Hard work and high motor will keep a lot of guys in the league for a long time just because they are that type of player, right? Like I think a guy who fit that mold back when you and I were, when all of us actually, since we're all around the same age, were, were younger was a guy like Jerome Williams, right? And his nickname was the Junkyard Dog, Junkyard right? Dog. Because he was, he, he was one of those guys who was always making the effort play, was what tried to play bigger than he actually was, and, and was just sort, sort of a rough and tumble, bull in a china shop type, type of guy. And Harold fits that identity as well. Um, when we get into some of his on-court game stuff, I think you'll also see that he's like a more skilled player than he gets credited yes. for. And, and, and there's been a lot of, of development in, in the parts of this game that allow you to not only um, be on an NBA roster or compete at an NBA level, but thrive, right? Um, to speak to the point that Pete was making about like where this narrative came from. Um, I have some thoughts on that. Please and, and a part of that to me, and look, I'm not justifying this. I'm not saying that it's correct. Actually, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just sort of speaking from a Lakers fan who quite enjoyed the tumult and and sort of um, tornado factor that was the Clippers season, right? And so we all got to take our little digs and, and poke some little rib shots at the Clippers this season with their ups and downs and and everything else. But what I will say is that Pete, you mentioned his breakout season 
And his breakout season was in the context of a breakout season for the Clippers of sorts, right? They had traded Chris Paul. Blake Griffin had been traded as well. Um, DeAndre Jordan was no longer there, right? And so the Clippers who had built themselves up from nothing to, to one of the glamour franchises of sorts of the NBA with the Lob City team, the, the team that was a perennial playoff team and expected to sort of compete deep into the playoffs. That didn't quite work out that way, but that was the view of them. They were expected to fall off. And instead it was players like Harold and Lou Williams and Pat Beverly who sort of had that dog in them that carried them forward. Fast forward to then suddenly they've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I do not think that, and this has been widely reported, so this isn't breaking news here, but there was a clash of sorts, I think, between the idea that we are now a top heavy superstar team, right? Who is going to compete in superstar ways versus a team that made its way by basically being dogs in order mm-hmm. to, to get wins. And I think that what ended up happening to Harold is he will be honest in interviews. He will speak his mind. And he had some quotes early on and throughout the season that sort of spoke to the issues that he was probably seeing in the locker room and the trajectory of where the team wanted to go and whether or not they were doing the things that he thought personally were the right way to go forward. And what, what was the nature of those quotes? Cause I remember those two. I think it was, I don't want to misplace these things, right. Or, or misclassify them, but Harold seemed like the type of guy that was basically saying, we ain't done anything yet. Like we're, we're supposed to be, like favorites or whatever, but what have we done? We haven't done anything. And in order to get to the place we want to go, we need to put in the work. We need to put our heads down and keep step by step by step to get to the end goal. And I think that those comments, regardless of how right they were, and I think they were right. I think those were the right things. Right. I think the the issue was, is that he was not Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. People mm-hmm. probably thought he should have been keeping his mouth shut or saying those things behind the scenes rather than to the media. And instantly there was this this sort of public fissure that started to exist. And it was rooted in some of the things that he said. And so over the course of the rest of the season, I think Harold started to have a bit more of a spotlight on him as a potential chemistry issue guy. Mm-hmm. And the chemistry issues that sort of um, played out both in the media and I think behind the scenes within that, that organization could be directly linked, if not specifically to Harold, <clears throat> then with those competing mindsets that I mentioned earlier of superstars, we're favorites to dogs work for it. Right. And and I think as those ideas clashed and clashed, it was much easier to start to scapegoat Harold, especially with his performance during the bubble and all the circumstances that surrounded that. My read on it was that 
Harold plays a certain way every night and is always available for the most part. And the Clippers, especially early in the season, they had a very specific plan for Kawhi Leonard in which he wasn't going to play in, in, in every game, even in every week. He was missing regular games. Uh, Paul George, of course, entered the season with a shoulder injury. He wasn't available to start. And so that was where there is, you mentioned one specific incident, and, and there, there's a lot of reporting about this, but Doc Rivers didn't like that Harold uh, answered a question and brought that out to the, the media, essentially saying, hey, this, like, this isn't good enough. We have to play every night. And it was seen as a, a fissure of sorts you know, between Kawhi, who wasn't going to speak about it because Kawhi doesn't really speak uh, in that context, and George to a lesser extent. And that played out throughout the season. So I, I also don't think that it was that big of a deal um, just period. I think that this is just the nature of the beast, but Kawhi, Kawhi was not going to get the critique because he was the finals MVP the year before by doing the same thing. And so, yeah, if, if there, there may have been a couple of narratives thinking, oh, okay, it's, it's something about Harold, but to me, this was just human nature. Harold happened to say something. And I, I don't, I don't think that if you watched his play in the regular season, you can ascribe any of that to him. He did struggle in the bubble for other reasons that we can get to as the podcast goes on. But yeah, in terms of kind of like questioning the character, I would just go back to what Pete said about where he's from. And I asked him that question, how does, how is where you're from? Pete said, again, this super small town, it's about a hundred miles east of Duke in North Carolina uh, in the country area. And he said, quote, from where I come from, just my upbringing, being able to make it out of that situation, man, it's just a fight in its own. So that is him. That is his personality. And all of the stuff that happened with the Clippers, like that, that was a specific situation that happened because of their situation. I will say my mother's from North Carolina. Her family still lives out in the sticks, right? It is there. It's hard living out there. And it is very easy to sort of slip through the cracks and, and just sort of go about your daily business. And I think that this is true in a lot of places in America. We have places like this in California too, right? Where you're just out in the sticks and you're like hundreds of miles from nowhere. And it's like, you are sort of the forgotten people. And in order to make something of yourself, there is a certain dedication and commitment that you need to have to yourself, right? And say, I can do this. I can and I'm going to take the necessary steps. And, and so people who come from environments like that, not that they're always bad environments, right? I think you could have said this very similar thing about like Brandon Ingram, mm -hmm. right? Who mm -hmm. came from a very small town in, yeah. in North it's Carolina. In North Carolina. Yeah. And or, or, that or, idea, or LeBron, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's not the same. It's, it's not a country place, but it's a, it's a, as he talks about in Akron, he feels like they're forgotten, right? Inner city, black, like nobody cares about us. Like he's, he always references that kid from yep. Akron. And that's what he means by that. Like I, I shouldn't be here, you know, and this, this is, it's definitely a prevalent thing around the NBA uh, and in other professional sports for sure. And that, you know, whether it's Harold's situation, whether it's LeBron's situation, BI's situation, that leaves an indelible imprint on the person that, that they are. And in a guy like Harold's case, again, it wasn't that he was from that area, but he was so astoundingly talented that he was tabbed as a future NBA player. And so he has scrapped for every bit of real estate in the basketball world. He's earned every inch of it. And so we're going to get into his, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into his game. This is a guy that is 
for real. He's the kind of guy that Draymond Green, who, as Mike says, does not suffer fools. He went out of his way to sprint across the court and tell Montrez Harrell, like, hey, I identify with you because Draymond's one of those guys, too. Yeah. Right. And, and so whatever we talk about with him going forward and with uh, his defense in the playoffs is the biggest on court question with him. I just want folks to know that this is a real competitor that we've gotten. And the idea of people really questioning that and calling him, there, there are a couple of things, like the idea that a lot of Clippers fans, because that's part of, for me, my investigation when we get a new player is what is the team that watches him every night say? Yeah. What do their fans say about him? They're, they know way, and they still do, right? And a lot of it, there's a lot of vitriol from Clippers fans about Montrez Harrell saying he's a snake, saying he's jealous. Uh, he was jealous of Kawhi and Paul George yeah. because he had that breakout season. And Montrez Harrell was one of the guys that got credit for the Clippers getting to the playoffs, for the Clippers pushing a all-time great Warriors team to six games, right? And all of a sudden, the two superstars come in, and it's no longer Montrez Harrell getting all the shine. That's what they say, right? I mean, dude Why the wants, fuck does he sign with the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis for one year? When dude won six-man of the year. There is a major recognition that, like, was he not, like, jealousy? Dude was six-man of the year. He's... He's one of the more known players on a team that's expected to win the championship, right? So the idea of, look, man, like, I don't want to get all excited about this. I also don't want to, like, put on my Laker bro hat and start to, like, be this person who is, who is like, pushing back hard on a situation that, that I did not follow every right. sing, single day. What I will say though is, is I've been a basketball fan and a sports fan for a long time, a long time. And the idea of the Kamenetsky brothers talk about blame pie a lot uh, yeah. and, and like who gets the biggest piece of blame pie. And if I'm handing out blame pie for what happened with the Clippers last year, Harold Slice is a fair amount smaller than some other people who are mm -hmm. in the organization, right? And to me, and this isn't a topic that I think we're gonna get into this pod, but when Harold basically said during his presser, Mike, that, you know, it's pretty clear that that team didn't want me anymore. There are probably a bunch of reasons that go into that, right? But if a big part of that was like his attitude problem or how they thought that his sort of personal ethos as a worker was going to be a problem with the superstars that they have on hand, that's a problem that's not going to go out the door when Montrez Harrell leaves, right? Like you have bigger fish to fry if what I would assume is, is one of the more competitive dudes on that roster if he's your problem then he's That's actually not saying. then he's actually not your problem you've probably got other things that you need to work through as a team. And that's not to throw shade at the Clippers. That's not my normal like Laker fan like, oh the Clippers lost. Right. Like it's more just like I've been a fan of good and bad teams. I saw some bad and lean Lakers years too. And I saw some great teams and I saw a great team that had its own issues itself and still found ways to win. So I, I sort of have some history and I think we all do with stuff like this. It, so I just wanted to make that point as well. 
that let's not just act like, oh, Harold quit on them or something like that, because I don't necessarily see that as being the case. Yeah, he didn't. And so in interest of moving this towards what's going to be the impact on the Lakers this season, rest assured, I, you're not going to have to worry about Harold's uh, how hard he plays for the Lakers uh, this year. And I, uh, that's not going to be a talking point. I don't think there are some things I'm sure. And, and as Pete has mentioned, we've uh, he especially, but we've been diving into some film and there are some super strengths. There are some weaknesses, but the effort with which he will play, especially alongside the personnel that the Lakers have is the absolute least of, uh, of what I'm focusing on. And so whatever that issue was with the Clippers, I, which I, again, I don't even think that was the issue, but it's definitely not going to be the issue moving forward, Pete. That's right. And so let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a bit about his game. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with our $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So the biggest critique of Montrez Harrell was his defense in the playoffs, right? A lot of Clipper fans will say he'll be great for you during the regular season. He'll help you win games there. But by the time the playoffs come around, he will be exposed and you can't play him. And so I watched every possession that he played on the defensive end in not only these playoffs, but also the playoffs against the Warriors, right? Because part of it was if there are these chemistry issues, they didn't exist nearly to the same degree on last year's team where they played the Warriors, right? So sometimes guys will play different depending on how happy they are. Imagine that we all, when we're in a good work environment, you get the best out of us. And when we don't like our work environment, maybe not as much, right? So I watch all of his playoff series, these, these last two seasons. And I was struck by a few things. One was his defense in the playoffs this season was fine. He was an average defender. That's the actual reality of what the tape shows. Now, there are a couple of spots. The one valid criticism of him is I thought his defensive rebounding was poor. 
And this is interesting about all of the Lakers guys that they acquired an interesting little tidbit that I think will impact how we rebound and get out into transition this year. But Mark Gasol, Wes Matthews and Montrez Harrell, their first instinct when a shot goes up is all to box out which is actually relatively rare in the NBA, right? And so that's a good thing, but they're also not sore above the boards. And Harrell will do this on the offensive boards, but as a defensive rebounder, he's more earthbound. And that makes sense. On an offensive board, you get a running start. And he's so explosive that his running start really matters. So anyway, his defensive rebounding, there's valid criticism for his defensive rebounding in these playoffs. But the Clippers played, I was stunned by how many drop coverages that Doc Rivers played in the playoffs, both against Luka Doncic, their first round opponent, and Denver in the Murray-Jokic combo. Now, drop coverages are intended to protect the basket, to protect the ball handler from getting all the way to the rim, and against that roll man. What are drop coverages vulnerable against? And this is true of every defense, every permutation of of defense in basketball. It has its strengths and it has its places where you can beat it and exploit it in these ways. Drop coverages are vulnerable to guards who can knock down pull-up jumpers and they're vulnerable to pick and pop bigs. You're talking about the Dallas Mavericks had, at least for part of the series, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. And then in the Denver series, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. If you are a drop coverage big, a drop coverage big as a rim protector is somebody who is usually big and they are, uh, they've got great length. They're good shot blockers. We talked a lot about our no roller behind concept with the Lakers, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, guys who can be dropped back into the paint. And as somebody attacks them, if somebody chooses to go after them, they're going to send that away if they're already in position. Montrez Harrell is not that type of defensive player. Montrez Harrell is fast and explosive, and we'll get into this on the offensive end, but putting Montrez Harrell in a drop coverage with his defensive skill set against those two teams, let's go just focus on Denver for now. Jamal Murray's a great pull-up jumper, uh, shooter. Nikola Jokic is a great pick-and-pop big. You combine that with what Montrez Harrell is good or not good at, I couldn't think of a a, a less suited coverage, and they played it over and over and over again. And so what people are telling me, saying, oh, he's being lazy on defense, it's like, no, he's in a drop coverage. And if you're giving up 17-footers to Jamal Murray, 18-20-footers to Jamal Murray, or even pull-up threes, that's not the player's fault. That's a coaching decision. And so that's one element of of what I saw there. Darius, I'm from – I'm curious on your thoughts of like putting players in the appropriate position to succeed is something we talked a lot about with Vogel being especially good at. And I, now I'm curious on Vogel because he doesn't have the rim protector, the Roy Hibbert, JaVale Dwight. So does he put Harold in drop coverages too? Cause that's what he's used to. That's a big storyline for me this season. I don't know, but I have seen Frank Vogel for a season, put guys in the position to do what they do well over and over and over again. And I can't help but think that Montrez Harrell, he's going to do that with Harrell. I will say though, drop coverage works a lot. It does. And so to me, it's not necessarily an either or where Harrell's not as good at this. So he shouldn't do with it all because I'm not saying that, but if you're getting killed by it in a playoff series over and over again, and the coach doesn't change the coverage, it's on the coach. We could also then talk about like, this was a roster limitation within the Clippers. Right. And so the other thing I was going to get to, yes, because terrible on defense. Well, I would say this. No, I would say, say this too, Pete, look at what the Lakers did. 
over the course of their playoff series where it was, it was okay. Well, JaVale and Dwight are both playing in round one against Portland in round two. It was Houston. Dwight played like what? Two shifts in the, like in the first Mm -hmm. game and then didn't play at all. JaVale played like a game and a half basically. And then he was done for most of the rest of of, the playoffs of his normal shifts. And then like, so Vogel didn't only adjust scheme. He adjusted personnel as well. Right. Especially with his big men. And so that idea of doing, so it's both. Right. Yes. So not only, of course. So not only did doc rivers potentially not play to the strengths of his individual players by adjusting scheme, Right. But he also didn't adjust his rotation in ways. Right. And so, like, think about this. So the Lakers played the same Denver team that the Clippers played. What ended up happening? They played Dwight Howard so much more. Right. And this is what Clippers fans were actually calling for was against the Nuggets. Right. They were just like, look, we understand Harold's a really good player, but against this specific matchup, you should probably go to your bigger, beefier dude to handle the strengths of this specific player that you're matching up with in this series if you actually want to win. And Doc did not do it. So is that the player's fault, Mike? When you basically tell a player who's probably outgunned, like Harold's what, six, seven and a half, six, eight, right? He's got long arms, but... You wouldn't tell Markeith Morris to guard Nikola Jokic for like over the course of 18, 20 minutes during crucial playoff minutes. Like, why would you do that? Right. So some of that is a, okay, well, yeah, let's expect the guy who's not as equipped to guard this specific guy, this specific guy, which is a guy who we've talked about on this podcast as Hey, you, you kind of need, need a guy for him. You need like, a, guy you need a solution for, for this yes. specific guy, for this specific guy. And instead yeah. you send a guy out there to basically play in a, not only in a scheme that is going to be problematic against this team's specific strengths, but against an individual player who is just a bad matchup for you. I don't know, Mike, like, am I seeing this wrong? No, you're so one of the reasons why I, I have long, admire both of your work is that there's nobody there's no team that has uh fans slash journalists now I'll, I'll consider you sort of in between <laughs> that can break down the x's and o's like that so i'm not going to try and and back that up uh i i think you that sort of speaks for itself i want to zoom out a little bit though and look at harold in the bubble and then try to apply to what we'll see this year which i do trust that between Frank Vogel and LeBron, they will put him in the right situations. And and sort of not only that, but when on the court, LeBron and AD to a lesser extent will are are smart enough to then be able to enact that um, with their teammates. But so the first thing that I th- that I think we need to acknowledge about the bubble for, for Harold is that his grandmother passed away and yeah. he had to leave. And so it's hard to to put into context the amount that his grandmother's influence on his life. There's a quote from August 18th, Om Young Masuk, who was covering the Clippers from the bubble says, uh, he asked what, what she meant to him uh, when she passed. And he said, everything, 
My grandmother was the one who introduced me to the game of basketball, was my dad's mother, one of my biggest supporters, biggest fans, one of my best friends. Only way to put it, there's no other way to explain the things she's done for me. She was my entire world. So Harold had that weighing on his heart mm -hmm. um, in the bubble. And then to think of that experience playing in the bubble, we heard from so many players, including the Lakers, you know, none of whom had a loss like that. And just how isolating it was, just how difficult yeah. it was. And th that was a team that had great chemistry. The Clippers did not. And and I, and this, I am in no way going to judge how he was supported. I'm sure that they did a great job. Uh, Doc Rivers, for example, is great um, at those kind of situations. But he he had all of that weighing on him and then had to go out in the, onto the court. And you guys just broke down the X's and O's. Just all of these factors, I think, were lining up against him. And, and nonetheless, he was, you know, he was fine uh, in certain. He wasn't as good as he was in the regular season, but he just had so much weighing on him. And I think that that part of the clean slate that he's going to enter this season in and with, you know, having been refreshed, having to gotten to go home, having to actually been able to grieve his grandmother uh, with the rest of the extended family. And I think that he's going to be able to have a new chapter here. And so take out all of the, the drop coverage versus blitzing, which is relevant. And I just think that you're going to get a sort of a, a clean spirit from him that's that you can apply on both ends of the basketball court. And I, I do, I'm excited to see how that looks from him. Him signing here, as opposed to some of the more lucrative offers that were reported, tells me a lot about where his head is at and tells me a lot about, um, you know, what, and, and, and his quotes as well. And thank you for bringing up the, the situation with his, his grandmother. I, I try to, like you said, it's hard to be able to quantify the impact that that has, but all of the factors, man. And like you said, the Lakers had great chemistry and it was tough. I could only imagine if it was a different circumstance and you suffered such a, a huge personal loss. If, if you'll indulge me of one more element of the uh, X's and O's and, and that type of stuff from watching the tape, he wasn't even involved in most of the plays where like the, the, the plays that looked like, Oh, he's not doing his job were the drop coverage stuff, but really the Clippers problem, they had awful defensive guards. They played Lou Williams, Landry Shamit and Reggie Jackson rotational minutes. And the playoffs are so, and really with a, our new acquisitions, the, I put such an emphasis on the playoffs because that, I mean, we're going to get, get there, knock on wood, right? Health willing. It's about what can these guys perform in that environment? So the playoffs are so based on targeting somebody, right? You got to get something to get the defense to collapse and a defense that's prepared for you, for your offense, for all of the variations that you do. A lot of times that becomes a, oh, this guy can't guard that guy type situation. And they had so many guards where it was the guard being picked on that collapsed the defense, right? And that, so like I'm watching the tape and I'm waiting for this, these like, terrible defensive plays from Montrez Harrell or Jokic took, that was one thing I was like, Oh, Jokic can't guard or he can't guard Jokic and he can't. But in reality, Jokic would cook him once, maybe twice a game. Jokic cooks everybody once or twice a game. Right. And so the idea that this is my point, the idea that Montrez Harrell got somehow dominated on one end of the floor just doesn't match up the tape. And so the question is, why is Zubats? Like Zubats was in a drop coverage too against Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Who's the starting backcourt defensively for the Clippers? It's Patrick Beverly and Paul George. And they made a good deal of mistakes too. But when you go from that, when, when Harrell was checking into the game, it was usually at the end of the first quarter. And the guards on the court were Landry Shamit and Lou Williams. Yet no shit, his plus minus isn't the same. In the playoffs? Yeah. 
and that and that should go that should go to Caruso, possibly the best backcourt guard right. defensively um, off the bench, and uh, Schroeder, who is another sort of effective long get in your face guard in that context. But Darius, the so the defensive side of the floor and how we're talking about Harold, the one thing that I that I do think has to be acknowledged and figured out that it is it is different from the Dwight Javale uh, yeah. mold of player, but. Mm-hmm if he's coming off the bench and maybe that is the AD unit mm-hmm. where AD is on the court more often than not at center. And then he is playing with a rim protecting big who is actually still on the other end, not going to be in his way on offense. So it's like that to me makes, I, I, I wonder, I don't want to dismiss that he's, you know, they don't get that sort of Dwight, uh, but like, it's a little bit more like in the postseason when Dwight and JaVale weren't playing in Markeith Morris, was was the who by the way may be in the rotation to some extent with him as well if they're playing 10 men right if they're not playing 10 men then what Vogel can do is play Harold with AD or he can just play Morris and AD and then move Harold to like a, a different rotation but like I guess it's a jumbled way of asking you Darius how much do you think that just his different style of play is not being the rim protecting center but being more of the diver and then scrambler blitzer how does that impact the, the defense overall Yeah, I just think it's going to be very rare where he is clearly the best athlete at the forward position that's on the floor. It's almost always going to be the opposite unless he's playing in a lineup without AD and without LeBron James. I hate to say this, man, but I'm going to say it anyway because shit, who cares? The Clippers... You're gainful employment. You're good. Look, (laughs) almost all of the Clippers' effective depth was on the wing or in the backcourt. And... Harrell had to be a player who, based off of the personnel and skill type of the other forwards and big men that were on his team, he was on an island much more than what he will be with the Lakers. And he's going to go from being his team's best big man to being, if you count LeBron as a big man, he's going to be the third best big man. And I hate to bring it back to slotting again, but I'll say it again is, is it matters. It, it just matters, man. Like the load that you're asked to carry on either end of the floor and your ability to live up to that role on a night to night basis against a diversity of matchups. There's only a handful of players That's that right. can do that. And they're paid you ain't getting 30 at 35% of the salary cap. That's right. Right. Harold's going to be underpaid this season. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if he was making $15 million a year or $18 million a year on this specific Lakers team, he would still be the guy slotted next to or behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That versatility in the front court matters, Mike. It like it matters who your partners are, right? In the same way, and we'll talk about this because I think there's going to be offensive partnerships. That yeah, we might have well. to do two pods. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that Harold had a great offensive partnership with a guy like Lou Williams, and I think we anticipate he could have a similar offensive partnership with a guy like Dennis Schroeder. But you also have defensive partnerships. There was this Very much great. So. There was this great sequence that unwritten rules I think on Twitter highlighted and it was against Houston Anthony Davis and LeBron are both sort of in and around the paint 
and Harden drove for that left-handed layup and AD points to LeBron and is signaling to him, that's your rotation. Mm -hmm. That's yours, right? They were literally standing a foot and a half apart from each other, but AD knows that's Braun's rotation because he's low man and AD is the guy who's going to kick out to the corner. And so guess what? Braun then goes and blocks that shot. And it's that defensive symmetry and synergy synergy, yeah. that, that exists that Harold's going to have that with other big men on the roster this season in a way that he could not have had with last year's Clippers, just based off of personnel stuff. That's not the Clippers being a bad team. That's just, where their talent was. So I, I'd love Pete to kick to you to start off kind of the, the X's and O's on offense, but there's one general point still, I, I think that I'm most interested in about Harrell going into this season. When you're the defending champs, they're the one thing, especially in this kind of season, when last year was the longest season in NBA history. If there's one thing I want more than anything else, it's a, junkyard dog, as Jerry said earlier, somebody that just every night is going to have maximum energy and effort. And I think for like, I think of Westbrook in a certain context here where we can criticize him in a lot of ways, but during a regular season, that is one thing, you know, that Russ is going to bring to the arena and going into this season, including all of the stuff that we just talked about for the reasons why Harold, it didn't end well with the Clippers. I don't know if I could find a more hungry player specifically on this team with the other team across town as one of the main rivals, like there, I don't know if there's anybody out there in the league that if I just want somebody come into the arena, when he checks into the game, it is going to be immediate full uh -huh. out. Yeah. Just crazy energy and effort around two superstar players that open up the court. So that to me is what is most take out all of the rest of the stuff. And again, we're about to get into it, but that to sure. me is the bottom line with Harold for this year. Just, on, wind him up, let him go onto the court and, and just watch the screams uh, that he directs towards the, I wish there were a crowd there. <laughs> well, uh, pair that with Caruso too, right? Mike Caruso is we got sort of a like version mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. Right? The, Where, no, there, there's, there's, there's a plenty of that on the roster areas. There's no, there's no question. Like they've got some, they've already got dogs. I'm just saying that Harold amongst again, everybody like that is yeah. just how he plays. That is his yes. DNA he is going in there screaming and fighting and, and some of the guys are going to advocate like LeBron, I think and AD are going to love that because guess what? Harold's making everybody else take body blows for them. Uh -huh. yeah, absolutely. So, so and th you know so LeBron's going to love throwing alley-oops to Harold, right? Yes. Like he's going to, he's going to specifically try to do that. There's, you know, we talk so much about putting pressure on the rim, but hold on. Before I talk about offense, just one more point. Uh, Harrell has defensive talent and Darius spoke to this on the idea of personnel. If you put Harrell, Harrell is a, a, is not a five defensively. His talent defensively is that he can close a lot of distance in a short period of time. So that scrambling style of defense that we were really good at last year, you put Harrell on the weak side and he can beat a player to the spot and with power, he will beat them to the spot and send that shit into the fifth row. All right. So he's got the ability or, or he's one of the league leaders in taking charges right? And has been historically. So if you ask him to just protect the rim, he's going to lose possessions because of his attributes. Yeah. But he's not somebody that you have to even really hide defensively. You just have to put him in the appropriate role. But to Mike's point of LeBron throwing Harold lobs, this plays into just a team-wide 
we talk so much about putting pressure on the rim. And we lost two guys that do that in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee to a lesser extent, right? Harrell replaces that and then some. On the offensive end, we've talked about all of the question marks so far about Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell has had a 60% plus true shooting percentage every single year that he's been in the NBA for five years. He had last season, his usage rate was 25.7%. Now, what does that mean? That means how often you finish a possession with a shot, with a turnover, you get to the free throw line. The average player's usage rate is 20%. So he at 25.7%, that's like second option type of touches. So to be efficient, at that level, let's compare him to like Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson led the league in true shooting percentage, I think 72.4% or something like that. But his usage was only around 13% because he's only finishing lobs, putbacks, the most open shots in basketball. Montrez Harrell is a, an extraordinary, he's one of the best offensive players in the game. He was the 18th leading scorer in the NBA on a permanent basis last season. We got a top 20 scorer in this dude, and he's one of the only guys that did almost none of it outside of 10 to 12 feet from the basket. So you're talking about that pressure on the rim that we talked about last year. Not only does he do that, he's got a ton of touch. He's got those Anton Jameson little push shots from 10 feet away. He can contort his body. He'll have a lot of and ones. He's got great hands. So those passes, those lobs that Mike's talking about, you're going to see those, but it's also going to be a pocket pass. And if it's a little bit behind him, he's going to catch it where a guy like Dwight, well, no, Dwight's not a good example. JaVale's not catching that pass, but he's got some of the best hands in the league. He, it's, it's power, grace, and touch. He barely uses his left hand, and this motherfucker's like 60% from the field every year. You know how hard it is to do that? And he's like 6'7", man. He's got a 7'4 wingspan, but he's explosive. He will blow by bigger guys, and he will punt. In that Golden State series, Draymond couldn't handle him physically. Like Draymond could not guard him when they switched as much as they did. Like I said, he started out like 20 of 24 from the field, shot like 73% against that Warriors team. And, and, and he, just quick, quick note on your point about the Warriors too. Uh, Draymond was guarding Harrell because he was their primary big threat. In this case, Draymond's going to be on either AD or LeBron, most likely. Right. right? Oh, so, this is a great so, point. Yes. So think about that. So Harrell's, Harrell's not getting the primary assignment either and he's going to eat uh, off a lot of those assuming again he's on the floor either with lebron or ad most of the time absolutely and that's the thing about the pressure on the rim is at some point a defense breaks a some at some point like oh yeah we got to deal with lebron and ad and maybe we got the bodies for that and but if if harold and i'm curious about to see how well he fits in with both of them because i could go either way on that but if he can, like, you, it, you might be able to deal with those two. And then you've got fucking Montrez Harold diving from the weak side. Are you kidding me? And then LeBron being able to make that, that dump off pass to him when it was Lou Williams getting blitzed and having to make it from different passing angles because he's small. Now you got, like, arguably the best passer of all time at six foot eight, finding Montrez Harold diving from the weak side. Are you fucking kidding me? And so just like the, and then Dennis Schroeder, as fast as he is, there's so much pressure on the rim. This is like, we did that video together, Mike. This is, this is my big thing that I'm excited about. Um, yeah, Darius, on the offensive end, man, what kind of guy are we getting in Harold? Oh, well, Darius, 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 it adds up, it adds up all that up to around, like, what do you think? Like the ninth best offense in the West? If you're oh, really man. plugging in the, uh, the analytics. Uh, shout out to our friend, David Locke, who I, I <laughs> had some stat that had the Lakers offense as, um, no, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not tr trying to create a Twitter moment or anything, but I just 
I texted yeah, that to you know. guys. I was like, come on, man. Like, I think, the, I think the Lakers offense will be a little bit better than number nine. Anyway, go ahead, Darius. Here's hoping. Here's hoping, Mike. Um, what I will say, just to follow up, Pete, about like a defense breaking, at some point, one of the things that ends up happening when you have too many players who threaten the front, the front of the rim is that eventually it ends up being a guard down there who is trying to make a play at the basket against a player who is coming downhill at you. And so, and more and more often it, lately because teams are being built smaller and smaller so that they can spread outside. So like we talked about the Lakers zigging while people are zagging. Yes. It's going to be a guard trying to drop down or a, a six, five wing trying to body. Uh, there was this one rotation where they blitzed Lou Williams and he throws a short roll pass to Harold and he dives to the rim. And I think this was against Dallas. And I think it's like Tim Hardaway jr. Or that type of guy, right? Who yeah. 10 years ago is probably your shooting guard. More these days, he'll get some minutes at the three, right? He's making this weak side rotation and he kind of gets there on time and he just bounces off of Montrez Harrell. And it's an N one, right? But well, but he just like hits him and goes flying. Well, I mean, we saw this during the finals, right? Like, remember those games where AD had massive offensive rebounding games and it was because after the ball swing swing penetrate driving kick right and then suddenly it's primary helpers yeah (laughs) well i'm just saying it's primary helpers who are then stepping up to contain lebron james or a big man who has to run out to the three-point arc to contest a shot from kcp Right. And it is a Kendrick Nunn or a Tyler Hero or even a Jimmy Butler, who is a big forward. Right. But though, but he's those guys are not going to be equipped to box out an Anthony Davis or a Montrez Harrell possession after possession after possession game after game after game and that's where that pressure on the pressure on the front of the rim doesn't just come from a pick and roll right between ad and some guard or lebron ad pick and roll or lebron driving from the top of the floor that pressure on the front of the rim also comes from offensive rebounds it comes from like like baseline penetration and then that drop-off pass to a dive from from the from the other wing who is crashing down right coos eight on a lot of plays like that and so there's a bunch of action that's going to exist within the lakers offense that harrell is going to thrive in and so when you talk about what are the lakers getting with with harrell like this sounds blasphemous, but I mentioned it last last pod too, is while he does not have the three-point range that Anthony Davis has, what Harold does do in very similar ways to AD is he can be a mid-post, dump the ball to him, turn and face, go get your own. And to me, out of all of the other stuff that he's going to do offensively, you know, run the floor, run pick and roll, offensive rebound it's it's those three or four possessions a game where he's actually just going to post up and just beat someone to get to the front of the rim where those types of possessions those are the possessions mike where i feel like 
you're saving wear and tear on Anthony Davis. You're saving wear and tear on LeBron James. The Lakers had nobody last season who they trusted to give the ball to, to create individual offense besides LeBron and AD. Now we mentioned some of that with Schroeder, but Harold's a 25 usage guy. Like, well, well, like Pete was saying, you do not get to that number unless you are doing a bunch of diverse things offensively. We haven't even talked about his passing yet, but Mike, that idea, because I think this is a big idea for you this season too, is, is how do the Lakers, while still having AD and LeBron active in games, give them a little bit more rope to like not have to be the guys who are carrying the load for the entire shift that they're on the floor, Mm -hmm. especially when they're by themselves and having Harold either playing next to AD or next to, to LeBron, he's going to give them another guy that can get his own. And I think that's so important this year. It is. And Pete mentioned earlier that, so Harold, you know, his scoring and how efficiently he scores almost 19 points in only 27 minutes last year. And he only needed 13 shots a game to get to that number which that fits right in. So you might think, okay, well, hold on a second. He's coming to the Lakers. LeBron's going to shoot a lot. AD's going to shoot a lot. Is he going to get the same attempts? Well, last year, so I just, I pulled this up a minute ago. So LeBron, 19 shots a game. Kawhi, 20 shots a game. AD, 17 and a half shots a game. Paul George, 16 shots a game. Third for the Lakers was Kuz with 11 shots a game. And so, okay, that's interesting. And then fourth, fourth was Avery Bradley, essentially, uh, with, with 7.8. Well, Lou Williams took 14 and a half shots a game. So Harrell actually slots, could slot in. You could replace Schroeder, essentially, with Williams there and say that, okay, if you give him about 14, 15 shots a game, I don't know if he'll shoot that much. I think Schroeder may be a little bit less. In fact, you know, uh, Pete, may, do, you, do you want to poke real quick and see um, what Schroeder's attempts per game was I got you. last year? You'll have that in a second by the time I pull this up. And so if, if Trez just replicates the shot attempts that he had last year, which I think is absolutely reasonable, uh, then boom, there's your 20 points again. And he can, a lot of those possessions, as Darius just alluded to, he can get, you don't have to run plays for him to get. And that's that a 14.8, is, 14.8 shots per game for sure. Okay, so, so right there with Lou. Yeah. So, so he almost slots in there and that's what, so he, it's that's kind of the beauty of Harold on the offensive side. You can run screen roll with him. You can engage him in that action, which they will right off the bench, whether it's Schroeder or whether it's LeBron, uh, both of whom can run that action. Uh, great. Or you can just sort of let him go to work. Uh, and he's going to be, he's just going to be productive because he's got the mix of touch of hands of explosion um, and hunger that is going to create points for an offense. So it's, that that my initial thought was I wonder if that if that makes sense but oh wait he just was on a team that had had three essentially number one options at various points of an offense and he's still eight we had two guys last year that you have to game plan for and everything else was kind of built around that you have to game plan around both Schroeder and Harrell individually I would also argue that you have to do it on both like there are different types of pick and roll combinations that are successful and they represent the best version of one particular type in that Schroeder's speed he can beat a hedging big who turns the corner or he's really good at that elbow pull up jump sh- shot if that big's dropped back but Schroeder will again with his speed and with his finishing ability he's putting pressure on the rim in that respect right harrell is able to do that on his own 
whether you're throwing him the ball in the mid post, like you guys were saying, or he's in that, that ball screen combination. In that ball screen combination with Schroeder, you've got both guys. There's going to be so many open shots on the perimeter because it's one thing when you've got, say, Rondo coming off of that screen, right? You can switch that. Or he's not going to get all the way to the rack the way that he did earlier. Or you, you go flat, way under. You go way under on right. that screen, man. Right. Right. And so you've got both guys able to put pressure on the rim from their respective spots at like amongst the most elite levels of especially bench players in the NBA. And that's the thing, like with Schroeder, with, with Harold in particular, like we've talked about this, but don't tell me what they're not. Tell me what they are, because if there are, and there are circumstances where Harold's not a great fit or Schroeder's not a great fit. Like if Schroeder's not a great fit, we've got Alex Caruso there. If Montrez Harold isn't giving you good minutes at the five, we play fucking Anthony Davis there, right? And you've still got a core of five guys that you can go to. We've got so many options for so many different versions of the Lakers, but we've added two guys that you have to game plan for in a way that didn't exist before. That said, we've been, you know, I've been especially all types of excited and optimistic about Trez coming. What are your biggest concerns about his addition to the team? Before we go to concerns, can I just mention He's a decent to plus passer out of oh, thank the you. short mm-hmm. role, right? And so when we talk about all of the offense stuff, when you mentioned the idea of there's going to be a lot of open threes for guys around the perimeter, those open threes happen because wing defenders feel the need to drop down in order to help in the paint. One of the ways that you beat that, especially out of pick and roll centric offenses, is to get hit on the short roll and then pick out shooters that are spread out around the arc. And Harold, when I watched more and more tape on him, I was quite pleased to see the fact that he has that read in his toolbox already. Now, he's not he's not Nikola Jokic. He's not, you know, LeBron James or someone else like that in the short role, right? But he is good enough to make defenses pay when they overcommit to that. And, and so before we move on to things that we might be concerned about and, and oh, thank you for, yeah. And like, we're highlighting strengths. I just wanted to make sure that we got a little plug in for the fact that he can make the right read out of that action, which is going to be super important for the Lakers. In terms of where I have my my concerns, there is still just some defensive stuff that's there, right? We talk about motor a lot, and motor is great, but the old woodenism comes to mind too. Like, don't mistake activity for achievement, right? Like, you do have to be in the right place. You do have to make the like the extra efforts great, but if you're running to the same place as a teammate, and that's your fault running to the same place as as a teammate then that's not good effort that's negative that's a negative for you and and so when when it comes to harold i do feel like he's going to need to play at a defensive basketball iq level up a level or two from what he's been asked to do in the past Another concern that I might have is we've talked a lot about roles and fungibility of roles and, and like, Oh, if Harold doesn't have it going, then you turn to this other guy. I still do wonder how much buy-in guys like 
I know he, I know it's a championship team. I know it's LeBron and AD. I know that all of those things favor the Lakers environment being a positive in this regard. Mm-hmm. A lot of things favoring you does not make it so. And so I don't, I'm not saying that he's a bad attitude player or anything like that. I just think that actually not just accepting, but embracing that you could end up having a limited role. Those that's a different thing. And it's sort of wait and see for me with that. But what about you, Mike? I think I'll just go back to the concern that you would have or any, any risk mitigation comes from Harold acknowledging upfront that he's joining the team that won last year and what they did worked. And what you are, what you are paying him to come in to do in this, you know, in this, especially with the kind of contract, that's the other mitigating factor too. So he like all of this stuff still revolves around LeBron and AD and he's got to pitch in to do that. So are there defensive concerns? Yes. We covered those in the first part of the podcast Uh, offensively, more of a, where are the shots going to come from? You don't want to take too much away from AD, LeBron, et cetera. You didn't have a high usage guy in the front court to that extent um, as he did last year. Is that going to take some innings away, some possessions away from him? Uh, does it bury coups further? So there's there's plenty of stuff there, but it's all made sort of less uh, significant to me by the fact that you're bringing him in to be uh, where he's slotted on the roster and you're getting all of the hunger that's coming in from him. So I don't have any additional concerns past what uh, has already been discussed on that point, Pete. Yeah, really, my my worst case scenario with him would I, is still I'll, I'll take it. It's still very good. Yeah. My concern is on the defensive end. I'm I'm more of the mind with you, Mike, with regarding his buy-in and understanding of what he's going into. Now, Darius is right. You have to actually live it and go through it, and there will be all all sorts of places it can go sideways. But I think that he the the evidence indicates that he knows what he's joining and what he's here to do he's also this is why i was so fervent about the first part of the pod like he's been a competitor all his life been part of a championship team in college and then all of a sudden for one year he's this jealous guy who just wants i don't know it just doesn't add up right so i think from a mental standpoint and from buy-in i'm very encouraged but you're right darius that it has to play out winning helps too winning will help winning and knock on wood that we experienced that again defensively he's a little bit sloppy he reaches too much some of his footwork on his closeouts is uh is poor the whole don't mistake activity for achievement a lot of that the gap can be in technique or in recognition i am very curious to see what a year of being around not just phil handy but lebron james frank vogel the different minds on the lakers and in the organization anthony davis Anthony Davis. Yes. Right. Thank you. That I don't think that he's the finished product of what he could be defensively, especially in an environment that, that he has bought into that he has signed up for that said my optimism about him on the defensive end in the playoffs is mostly based on it's mostly theoretical. Doc Rivers did occasionally blitz or, or show at the level of the ball screen. And he was really good at that on tape, even in these playoffs where he had his grandma passed away and all of the other circumstances revolving around the team. He was still good at these things, but, or Rivers would put him on a weak side shooter and he'd be in a a rotation and he'd do that very well. But again, it's theoretical. If he does not work out in that respect, he is still one of the very best offensive big men in the NBA. He's a devastating scoring threat at something that compounds an existing strength of the team. 
And so I'm more excited about this signing than I have been, you, you know, about, about the others, frankly, because I think that Montrez Harrell is special at what Montrez Harrell is good at. And that is difficult to come by in the NBA. It's really difficult to get yeah. that for a mid-level exception. So do you guys have any parting thoughts before we close it out? Just the fact that I wanted to mention Marcus Saul as well as like another yeah. mind in the room, another potential positive influencer within the context of where potential growth is there for a player like Carroll. The Lakers have built up a team that is, and Mike brings this up a lot, around two of the best handful of players in the entire league in in LeBron and AD. The way that that talent allows other players to be better versions of themselves, right? Which is how you define greatness, right? It is, is do you allow other people, do you lift them up around mm, you? I love this. And, and LeBron and AD do that. But I would argue too, that when you have really smart players, right? Players who understand how to play the game, that that does it as well, right? I think we saw that some last year, especially during the playoffs with a guy like, like Rondo. So I think we're going to see some of that with a player like Marcus Soule. I think you saw it last year with even a player like Danny Green, who was a very smart and understanding role player. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see some of that with a guy like Wes Matthews as yeah. well. Right. And so as you continue to raise the baseline of basketball IQ that exists, all of the players on the team benefit from that. And so when we talk about the framework of what Harold is and what he can be, some of my excitement, Pete, comes from that idea of you're placing him into an environment surrounded by players that can help elevate him in ways that I hope are really good for him as, as a player, which will then circle back and benefit the team as a whole. And we'll see if this optimism is rooted in things that, that are there, but, but I'm excited about this. The last thing I would say is that when the way that Harold played, especially the last couple of years, there was some thought that he could go somewhere else and get a bigger role and be if not the best big on the team, the one that they could run the most offense through and, and still think of teams like that, whether it's the Knicks or the Pistons or uh, the Cavs or the Wizards, the Hornets. Uh, now, these are not good teams. So that's part of the reason why uh, a couple of teams in the West as well, where he could have go, gone to and, and really pick things up and from that end. And the Lakers now, because of various circumstances, get him as a star in his role type player. Um, where he needs to, again, show not just himself, but the rest of the league, what he's about. And for them to be able to slot him into that spot um, is just is just a big time luxury. And they're going to reap the benefits this season. And I, I do think that uh, that he's 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 approaching this mentally. And this comes from the Zoom chat that we had with him the perfect way. And I think that Frank Vogel is going to help that. LeBron's going to help that. AD is going to help that. Um, hopefully Jared Dudley will, will be back. Another guy like that. But it just, all of that stuff fits more than when we originally saw that tweet and we're like, what? What just that? This was not even on the radar. And I think like Pete watching the film, like Darius and I thinking about it, 
the more that I think about it, the more eager I am to see it. So uh, let's go, man. It's uh, it's almost game time. I, I love the the closing thoughts that both of you guys had that both spot on. And as somebody who's spent the last week or so really knee deep in his tape, uh, the basketball doesn't lie. He's a really unique player and can be that, that star in his role. Um, I think the league is about to find out how much of a dog Montrez Harrell really is. So got training camp starting on Tuesday. We'll record that night, right. For an episode on Wednesday. So next time you talk to us, there will be, have been an official 2020, 2021 activity. Uh, but until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.